Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, and welcome to Slate Spoiler Specials. I'm Sam Adams, the senior editor at Slate, and today I'm joined by Slate's features editor, Jeffrey Bloomer. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Sam. Today, we are spoiling Jurassic World Dominion, the sixth and possibly final movie in the Jurassic Park franchise, which also reunites the cast of the original Jurassic Park. But before we get into how that happens and whether it should have, let's give our opinions on the movie. Jeff, what did you make of it? Uh, I mean, this movie, it's like you didn't think it was going to be good. It looked like there's too many characters. Too many, just like watching the trailers is painful, but it is much worse than you could possibly imagine. I was I was genuinely blown away by how bad it is, even though at times I admit that I got some of the old fun itch um, from classic dinosaurs chasing people around. What did you think? This is a movie that is hard to work up the energy to even hate. Like, it's just a big giant ball of nothing. I guess nice to see the characters from the original movie back in this, and I haven't seen Sam Neill in anything in a while, so that's always a pleasure. But, yeah, I mean, if you had... Uh, what is it? Like, if you were watching my pulse during this movie, I think it would never have been elevated more than, like, a couple beats at any point. Like, I just had no reaction to it whatsoever. Um, but we're going to attempt to discuss it anyway. Yeah, I kind of feel the same as you do. I don't hate it. I was just, like, really astounded at how much of a generic blockbuster that basically looked like James Bond accepted. It's like raptors chasing them through uh, beautiful... Um, historic cities instead of like another motorcycle it's it's just unbelievable how generic they made it the last movie um sort of left off with what seemed like a potentially interesting premise which is basically like dinosaurs are in the world now they're no longer in the park um or the second park they've gotten off the islands they're fully out among us and that seems like it would change things. Um, and then this movie starts off and basically suggests that it's they sort of haven't. Um, there's a little sort of viral, you know, news bite uh, clip at the beginning of this, which catches us up on the fact that dinosaurs are all over the place. But it basically means that uh, sort of occasionally they will come down and like snap at somebody on the beach or like ruin somebody's birthday party or something, but it is not the sort of worldwide rampage that I was really looking forward to in this. It's quite a letdown. This clip also sort of serves as the opening exposition to reintroduce us to the characters from the previous Jurassic World movies. And I have, I have to say that this is an incredibly clumsy way to perform this function, but I also have never needed it so desperately because I do not remember any who any of these people are. Um, so, you know, being reintroduced to Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt, and especially Maisie Lockwood, who is the cloned daughter of one of Jurassic Park's co-founders, 
um, and now basically lives in a cabin in, I think, Nevada with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt. So it was helpful to be reminded of that, even in this extremely clumsy way, because um, I do not remember or care about these people. Yeah, I mean, the clone girl thing, it's just like you can't really come back from that. Once you introduce cloned little girls that are the secret to the genetic, uh, you know, answers to the problem of the world. It's just... <sighs> but anyway, she's living at this house with them, and uh, they are really desperate to protect her and not let her go outside. But of course, there are like these like skeezy looking like kidnapper types hanging around trying to steal dinosaurs. Um, and in the meantime, the raptor blue again, this is like backstory that I wish I didn't have to recount. This raptor was essentially one of the protagonists of the original Jurassic World. Um, and it's like friends with Owen played by Chris Pratt. This dinosaur has asexually reproduced. So it has a little dinosaur velociraptor baby and they seem to really want the velociraptor baby too so in the opening first wave of reintroducing characters um the girl and the uh, baby raptor are kidnapped and taken off to an unknown fate the movie sort of sets things up um either giving it too much credit or just trying way too far to extract something interesting from this movie but it seemed like there was some potential there like they've made Bryce Dallas Howard's character, who was a sort of Department of Fish and Wildlife employee, is now sort of an animal rights, like, eco-terrorist. First thing we see is her breaking into this illegal uh, dinosaur breeding ground, supposedly to, you know, document this illegal activity, but then she ends up trying to break one of them out, and there's a big pointless van chase. Chris Pratt, uh, I think he is literally introduced on horseback, um, roping, I apologize, I forget the name of the dinosaur, but the one with the big sort of crest on its head, um... Might be an Allosaurus. I don't know. I my like ten year old self is a gas that I don't remember all these names, and I apologize to uh, to him. But so it seems like there's there's some sort of kind of you know Wild West frontier like cowboy thing going on, and this includes these dinosaur poachers who are then tasked with stealing Maisie and uh, one of Blue's uh, asexually reproduced offspring. But that all falls by the wayside very quickly, and we go into. The sequence, which you mentioned earlier, the sort of incredibly incongruous kind of James Bond chase through the Middle Eastern marketplace, which I, I believe is, is set in, in Malta. Yeah, I mean, it's really unfair to this whole exercise that you got to watch this movie this morning. It's been a couple of days for me, and I had totally forgotten about the cowboy chase where he's like corralling dinosaurs against the sun. It's just truly astounding the levels of bullshit that this movie is stacked with. But anyway, they, yeah, they go off to try to find the girl and the baby asexually reproduced dinosaur and they end up i think it's volta I, who knows where all of the world's illegal dinosaurs apparently run through and so there they meet up with this like former air force pilot or something i don't really know what this woman's deal is she's clearly a character they put in the movie because they needed to explain how these people are able to get around in the world and she flies a plane so that, that's pretty much what it is. I guess she sees the girl at one point and feels bad that she's kidnapped. And so they kind of meet her, um, the couple, which Claire and Owen, who are, you know, in a relationship now. And they go through this big, long sequence where they are inside of some kind of dinosaur clearinghouse kind of deal. There's all kinds of raptors there that are, like, trained to be weapons which I kind of thought was going to be the premise of this movie to begin with, but instead they're just like part of this one sequence and they're kind of chasing them around um, that island and they don't get the girl back. And she ends up at this company called Biosyn. And we can talk a lot about Biosyn, but I think, Sam, we should go back a little bit to explain why 
the other wave of characters are introduced to the concept of biosyn. Yeah, so part of this whole, uh, you know, sort of Midwestern uh, frontier setup at the beginning, I hesitate to even say this, but I do think it's sort of an explicit reference. There's this big field of wheat that looks very Terrence Malicky, um, because apparently, you know, Colin Trevorrow, who is back to direct this movie after the, directing the terrible first Jurassic World movie and then making the not only terrible, but insane Book of Henry, a movie so bad that it got him fired off doing the last Star Wars movie, and is now back doing Jurassic World again. He wants you to think that he has a brain, I guess. So so that we see this field of wheat, you know, these little uh, children are out there like doing, doing their chores outside their barn, and all of a sudden this giant herd of locusts comes at them. And I should say giant herd, but also a herd of giant locusts, because these things are like a foot long, or something. We find out they're these sort of genetically engineered super locusts who have been ravaging crops all across the plain states, threatening to spread to other countries and sort of decimate the world's food chain. In coming to investigate this is Ellie Sattler, the character played by Laura Dern in the original trilogy, who is now, I guess, sort of an ecologist. She is upset that this is going on and suspects that this biosyn company is at the root of it, but needs to infiltrate the company to prove that this sort of modified super locus DNA actually comes from that. She needs some help to do that, and she turns for help to that to her old buddy slash uh, love interest, Sam Neill. Yes, Alan Grant is back. Um, we haven't seen him since he was talking to Velociraptors in his sleep in Jurassic Park 3, I believe. And now here he is, back here, and Ellie and her husband have been down divorced. So you know they're going to do something very vulgar and ruin decades of unrequited love between the two. You just know it's coming. And we'll get there. But I do want to pause a moment on the fucking locusts. Because, like, th- this is a movie about the greatest, like, terrestrial carnivore ever living, coming, like, back to life, among other dinosaurs. And the big villain of this movie are footlong locusts. The whole movie ends up being about getting rid of these locusts. It's unbelievable. It's like, how do you even... I just wish I could have been in the room where they were writing their dinosaur movie and they decided that giant locusts eating too many crops are uh, the real subject matter of the movie. Yes, well, they're sort of the real subject matter of the movie. And then once they're left behind... Sorry, I'm skipping ahead to the very end of the movie here, but if you're listening to this, you either have seen the movie or don't care about being spoiled by it. The only thing we get about the progress of these locusts in the world is Campbell Scott, who plays the obviously villainous head of the tech conglomerate here, gets like a push alert on his phone that says like, giant locusts ravaging world. It's just like a little, you know, MSNBC, because of course this is a universal movie, so it's all in the corporate family. Um, Yeah, he gets a little iPhone alert that says like, locusts are destroying the world. And that's the only, that is like how much this movie cares about like the world or ordinary people or like what's going on it just could not give less of a shit about any of this like global destruction even though that is the core subject of the movie yeah it's really unbelievable um and then for the jurassic park nerds in the crowd maybe there are a couple of you biosyn um was the company it's supposed to be the company that in the original jurassic park was like the rival competitor that Dennis Nedry was stealing the embryos for before he gets eaten by the Dilophosaurus. So the guy who plays this evil corporate guy is the same character. who I, What is his Dogson? Something like that. He's played in this movie by Campbell Scott, and he's sort of like a very deliberate Steve Jobs looking type of guy, except evil. 
And the actor who played him in the original movie, unfortunately, famously was convicted of like child rape or something similar, sexual assault of a minor, I believe, and is not returning in this movie. But they bring this character back. And so Biosyn, they, they had sort of changed it in the previous movies, like in The Lost World, it was like the book. It was like the big bad, I think. But in the movie, they just kept it as the same company. And so this is like an attempt to pull back in the mythology and do a little bit of like winking fan service, making this the big evil corporation that is like sort of behind these locusts, which are apparently designed to decimate any farms that are not planted with bios and seed. So they got a supply chain tie in here. Yeah, and there is there is a shot at one point. It like took me quite. You might have gotten this quicker than I did, but it took me a while to figure out why there was this very pointed shot of Campbell Scott like taking this sort of charred um, shaving cream can out of his you know sort of little rel- reliquary of sacred objects, and then I guess I eventually remember that's like what they hide the dinosaur DNA in in, in the first movie or something. But that's it. but it's it's really if you don't remember it back that far, you're you were just going to be like, why is a shaving cream can suddenly so important in this movie? Totally. This is like any other corporate nostalgia blockbuster where there's tons of stuff packed in there that's like meant to make like the audience feel like they are like seeing something special because it's like a very oblique reference to something from the past movies. And there's all kinds of stuff like that in here. Ellie and Alan um, decide they're going to infiltrate or they need to infiltrate Biosyn to sort of connect the dots on these uh, super locusts, which are very mysteriously kind of not ravaging the crops that are planted with Biosyn seed. It's very easy for them to infiltrate Biosyn because they have been invited there by the company's, and this is a direct quote from the movie, in-house philosopher Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum. I mean, what kind of tech conglomerate does not have an in-house philosopher? A very poor one. Now, this is where I admit that as as much I really did find this movie to be just unredeemable trash, but this part of the movie was a little bit fun. It's when it started to get a little bit fun because watching, you know, Alan Grant and Ellie and um, Ian Malcolm sort of like bring back the old dynamic and like, like skulk around this corporate thing where he like is very quickly becomes clear that he's like, he's bringing them in to do a little espionage and it's like supports their mission to get the evidence that this company is evil. And that stuff, the banter is like kind of fun. The writing is not the absolute worst, I guess. And just the actors playing off of each other is a little bit, it's, it's watchable. Right. I mean, I think the closest to that sort of back and forth that you remember from the initial movie is naturally, you know, as visitors to this top secret complex, which is located, I believe in the Dolomite mountains in Italy. Um, they're being very carefully watched but Ian uh, was able to pull Ellie aside and tell her like that he knows about the the super locusts that are down on you know sub level seven in the basement. Um, and the cover for this is there's like an espresso bar in the lobby, and while Alan is like you know getting the foam put on his macchiato or whatever over the hiss of that noise, Ian is able to sort of like you know whisper to her and slip her like the the key that will get her into this thing. And there's a the runner where the um, the macchiato guy keeps asking, like, you know, do you want, uh, you know, cinnamon or allspice or, you know, what kind of what kind of milk do you want? It goes on for, like, way too long and it's just, it's very dead, like, as a joke, but you see them, like, trying to make a joke in this. And I, I guess good for them. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it was mostly just the, it's trading heavily on nostalgia for the characters. But nevertheless, fun actors, they're in the scene together. That's not the worst thing in the movie. So they go down into the sub-basement. They, like, get their locust sample. Um, in the meanwhile, there's this guy named Ramsey, who's the right hand of the evil Biosyn guy, who's sort of watching them and seemingly, like, helping them move around. 
and then uh, somehow I don't even remember what happens here. They get caught kind of because they accidentally like animate the locusts and they like create a big scene. Campbell Scott sounds the alarm because I think at, by this point, Bryce Dallas Howard and, and Chris Pratt and DeWanda Wise, um, who plays the pilot, they are they are sort of like basically just taking her cargo plane and going to just like kind of crash land into this thing. So I believe that's why they set off the alarm as um, Ellie and Alan are sort of very quietly trying to extract a super locust from this room full of them. Because of course, if you make any noise, they're all going to swarm them, which as soon as they say that, you know, of course, at some point, someone is going to make a loud noise and they're going to get swarmed. That's right. And so this movie's soul genius truly it's soul genius is to bring all these characters onto this beautiful Italian preserve where, which also houses the evil corporate like headquarters, but in addition has the giant dinosaur reserve where like all of the best species are just like hanging out in a beautiful jungle. And so the little girl, the clone girl has been kidnapped, brought to this facility because she, I don't even want necessarily want to go into explaining this part of the movie, but she like, her mother was a really good scientist who somehow cloned her to like cure her of the disease she was dying of. And therefore her DNA means they can kill all the locusts or something. One of the other characters who's back in this movie from the original and has actually been in the whole JW trilogy, as I like to call it, uh, is B.D. Wong um, as uh, Dr. Henry Wu. And so he explained in this and he's sort of he's sort of a weird character because they kind of want us to believe that he's good, but he has kept working for like the evil corporations like all this time doing their weird genetic manipulation stuff. So in this case, he has, I think, apparently created these terrible super, super locusts, didn't realize that they'd go crazy and try to eat up the entire world for some reason. But he has just realized that the only way to stop them is he needs to kind of inject them with foreign DNA, which will then like merge with their DNA and replace it and kill them all. And the secret to that is in um, Maisie's DNA, because we find out in this movie that actually rather than being... It was sort of implied that her grandfather, like, or, or father, I don't know how the cloning family tree works. I don't know the, what the correct terminology is here. I don't want to offend any clones uh, if they're among our listeners. But um, her grandfather, James Cromwell, um, it had been implied that he cloned his daughter sort of after her death to get over the grief. And we find out in this movie that actually her mother was a brilliant scientist. And so she cloned herself and then, like, gestated the embryo in her own womb of her own cloned DNA, which is super weird. And then, you know, gave birth to Maisie and realized after that, that she, the mother Charlotte, had this sort of fatal, incurable genetic disorder. Um, and in order to avoid passing that on to her genetically identical clone daughter, um, came up with a way to, you know, basically, like, I think they throw the word viral around at some point, some sort of like, you know, viral DNA, some sort of like DNA carrying virus that would like, like go through her body and change all of her genes and take the bad parts out of them. And that is what sort of cured Maisie of this disease, but it's also what they're going to use to kill all the super locusts. Turns out that the right-hand man, um, Ramsey of the guy is like in on it and is the one that like told Ian Malcolm about the evil locusts and all of that. And so they, uh, they're on this hyperloop, but the um, evil CEO guy, like, zaps the Hyperloop and they have to get out where they face a bunch of dinosaurs in the tunnels that try to eat them and stuff. Um, and then in the meantime, uh, the Chris Pratt, whatever characters, they yes, they have in fact crashed a plane into these mountains and they emerge unscathed somehow. Um, and they're all like, they're in the jungle and there's this gigantic dinosaur that's supposed to be bigger than the T-Rex, like 
chilling out and going around and like stomping around. There's finally some bird looking dinosaurs that are actually the only scary dinosaurs in this movie. They look just like really like Satan devil birds, basically. And they're like going around and hopping out from under ice and stabbing them with giant arms and whatnot. Um, and eventually, Dr. Grant and Ellie uh, end up in the woods with them, too. They're all out, out in the jungle again. And finally, the movie's purpose comes into focus, which is letting these people be chased around the jungle with dinosaurs. You have to get like through about an hour and a half of other stuff first. But once you're there again, it starts to feel very nearly fun. Yeah, so as you mentioned, we've taken all this time to get up to the part of the movie that everyone knows is coming and that we're all here for. So let us talk about that, but before we do that, let us take a break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you enjoy the Slate Spoiler Special, the best way to support our show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. When you are a Slate Plus member, you get no ads on any Slate podcasts. You get unlimited reading on the Slate website, so you'll have access to every article, every advice column. You'll never hit a paywall. And you get bonus segments or episodes on many of our shows, like Slow Burn, The Political Gab Fest, or my own weekly show, The Slate Culture Gab Fest. And when you support the podcast, you're also supporting Slate. We would not be able to do the journalism that we do without your help. So to join today, go to slate.com slash spoiler plus. Once again, that's slate.com slash spoiler plus. And we're back. So Jeff, we are now at the part of the movie of Jurassic World Dominion that everyone is here for, which is basically everybody who's thrown into the jungle and is being chased around by a bunch of dinosaurs. Um, some returning dinos, um, some brand new ones, including the Giganotosaurus. What did you make of this part of the film? I found this dinosaur, whose name I'm not even going to try to say, to be pretty lame. Probably the lamest new big bad since the um, Spinosaurus from Jurassic Park 3, if you remember him. Um, they just, uh, it was just kind of an unimaginative thing. It's a little bigger than the T-Rex. Of course, it like fights with the T-Rex early in the movie and sets up an eventual another battle with the T-Rex because we haven't had one of those in this literal trilogy. But I did find some of the other dinosaurs, particularly, like I said, the bird-like ones, to be pretty fun and scary. And there was just a lot of like, little decently engineered sequences. We're not talking about the Spielberg kitchen scene with raptors here or anything, but serviceable. And eventually with them all in the woods, they kind of just like run into each other on this gigantic preserve. And they're just sort of all out there. And all the characters are united, and it starts to feel like kind of a real movie for a short period. Right. I think my favorite of the of the dinosaurs, and I guess this is technically not new, according to the very detailed uh, Jurassic World wiki, because I just used or mentioned in the first Jurassic World, but new to me, at least, is the Therizinosaurus is like a really badass herbivore. The movie does show us it eating plants, but that is right after, um, and it's a sort of a big dinosaur with 
three really long sort of spiny talons on each hand. Um, and the first thing we see it do after Bryce Dallas Howard, um, who has to like eject from the plane and crashes down at the forest canopy and is like hanging there in her parachute in comes this Therizinosaurus and there's like a little deer in the forest and it just like beats the crap out of this thing and kills it with a, you know, one little flick of its talons just cause it's not going to eat it. It doesn't eat meat, but it doesn't like the look of this deer. So it just kills it. Yeah, totally. You know, I think uh, it looks, it's a scary, good dinosaur, good, scary dinosaur. It looks like something out of Pan's Labyrinth. It's genuinely scary looking. There's some fun to be had if you really ignore everything that's brought us up to this point during this sequence. So eventually, you know, they can only get chased around for so long. And I think that the Biosyn Steve Jobs guy decides, "Mm, these fucking locusts, I don't know, we got to get rid of them. So he decides to incinerate them back in the corporate headquarters. Meanwhile, these other people are all still out there. And uh, I don't really understand, and maybe you can explain this to me. He opens the hatches to these locusts to let them outside while they are burning. Like, why does he do that? Does he open them or do they just get out? Like, I, I could not figure that out. But this part is, yeah, so he basically hits the incinerate button on this room full of locusts and they all start, you know, burning up. And then all of a sudden, and if this is, even vaguely explained, I guess I missed the tiny little shot that does it, but for some reason they all get out. Um, and not only all get out, but apparently one special quality of that these, uh, you know, footlong super locusts have been engineered for is that they're just extremely flammable. Like, so there's this, this huge swarm of like flaming locusts going through the air. And instead of dying because they're on fire, they just keep flying around and like lighting other stuff on fire. And it's just like, what exactly are they made of that they like keep burning, but don't die? Like I, I, I don't want to get too like hung up in plausibility about the horde of footlong super locust, but I was I have questions at least. I'll put it that way. Sure, but it was genuinely a confusing sequence. Like, what is he trying to do here? But then, of course, the whole preserve starts catching on fire. And earlier in this movie, they they had made reference to all of the dinosaurs having microchips in their brains, and then apparently you can just like press a button and make them go wherever you want, which. You know, I guess that's a nice feature. Um, But they press the button, and so every dinosaur on this little preserve starts walking toward the central perimeter of this corporation, where apparently they will be safe from burning locusts. So they're marching toward this thing, and then everyone just sort of converges in the main corporate evil locust zone. And uh, the dinosaurs are all in this thing, and they all meet in this thing, and they are trying to get out... There's a whole play where they have to turn off the power of the place that's kind of obviously like meant to reference the power woes in the original Jurassic Park. And then I guess that all sets up Biosyn evil Steve Jobs guy to eat it. He eats it through yet another reference to the original movie because his Hyperloop gets stuck. You can imagine the Hyperloops are supposed to be like an Elon Musk thing as well. Very witty, this movie. Uh, and then they, I don't know, he's in a tunnel. And for some reason, there's a bunch of Dilophosauruses down there, which any anyone who was a six-year-old um, at some point during the 90s will remember was the, doc, the dinosaur that spits um, acid to blind its victim before eating them. And they do their thing and they eat the guy. And then they're all out on this sort of pavilion while they're trying to get, I think, what is it? Like they have another plane or helicopter or something they're trying to figure out how to get it off the ground. Yeah, there's a whole thing here, and maybe you can explain this to me, or probably not, um, but I did not understand it, which is there's this whole thing where um, this giant compound where all the 
most of the dinosaurs are sort of radio controlled. They have these little chips in their brain. Um, but for some reason, they also have this aerial defense system, they call it the ADS, which they use to basically allow you to fly in and out without getting like mauled by a giant pteranodon. Or I forget what the version of it is, but there's a version of it in this that has like, you know, sort of brightly like rainbow colored feathers on it, but it's still the size of a giant cargo plane. That's what makes the plane crash on the way in, and they need to turn this off so they can get back out. And because the power in this place is like already failing, they need to turn off what remaining power there is in order to turn the aerial defense system back on so that they can get out without being attacked. At this point, like Campbell Scott has sort of given up the ghost. He's basically evacuating the park. It's not clear that like everyone who works there is evil and in on this big conspiracy. So it seems to me like they could kind of just wait and let everybody get together and then go out normally with everyone else and not turn off the primary power to the facility, which seems like, among other things, is probably keeping all the nice dinosaurs safe. Perhaps I'm using my brain when I shouldn't be here. I don't know. Yeah, right. So we didn't even mention the aerial defense system. It's a very confusing thing. How does that work? Who knows? Um, at one point earlier in the movie, the reason the plane crashed is because the evil CEO guy had turned it off and was like, oh, let the dinosaurs eat them, like whatever. Um, and then in the end of the movie, yeah, to get it to work again, all of the power from the place has to go to that somehow. So they have to turn off the power for everything else, which leads to the demise of Steve Jobs. But I think that I think that the staff evacuates before that, like they all just get out for some reason. Somehow it does not really explain fully what the deal is there, or at least I don't remember because it's really hard to remember details in this movie. And then that brings us back to this pavilion where everyone is gathered, including every dinosaur that was ever in any Jurassic Park movie. So they're on this big pavilion. And uh, while they're trying to get out with this air defense system, um, of course, the T-Rex, who had earlier been taunted by the much larger one that I'm not going to try to say its name, comes back and they have to get into a fight. And like the fight's not going that well for the T-Rex. Looks like the T-Rex is going to die. But then the really crazy one with the fingers, the vegetarian or the vegan, comes and like they team up somehow and like throw the big the t-rex throws the big one onto the other ones like spine things like on its hands and it's like this weird triumphant moment where for some reason these two monstrous predators killing the other monstrous predator is like meant to be like a feel-good moment it's like oh good the giant predators have learned to work together surely this will go well for everyone yeah i mean it's a callback to a million other movies where in all pretty much most of the jurassic park movies the like one dinosaur comes and saves the people from another dinosaur and like it's like obviously riffing on all of that and i'm it doesn't totally come out of nowhere but it's just an especially limp and bizarre iteration of that to round out this new trilogy um although it does look cool i'll give it that so as i mentioned at the beginning this is sort of supposedly the end of the not just this trilogy but the entire series um so i want to talk about where this kind of leaves us as a whole and and you know look back on the last 30 years of jurassic but before we do that let's take a break and we're back so jeff this is supposedly the end of the entire uh, Jurassic Park saga. And this movie tries to leave us with some sort of profound closing thoughts. What did you make of the, the attempt to sort of extract a larger message from this whole mess? I mean, it was just such a profoundly lame attempt at like sort of a coda, same way that um, The Lost World ends on a very similar note. Everything in this movie is somehow derivative and like put in a way that almost doesn't make sense. But I don't know. Can you remind me? They were so lame. 
there was like a there was like seven special effects shots like contrasting dinosaurs against the animals that still live today that are similar to them i can't even remember what they were now but i like almost died watching this part so there's like pteranodons like flying with the big flock of birds there's like the giant i forget what it is but the, the giant sort of whale thing from the first jurassic world movie just swimming with like regular humpbacks all sort oh of, my god yeah all that sort of, one. Are those sort of like chill and touching noses why these dinosaurs have like suddenly become peaceful when they are shown throughout all six of these movies to constantly be like hyper aggressive um, even even sort of the nice Velociraptor Blue is still like you don't fuck with it no matter how much of its friend you are or, or it will eat you. Um, so how you know how this ends on this sort of uh, dulcet like let's all just get along note? I I really don't understand um, <laughs> what is supposed to be going on here. To be honest, yeah, like it, it's obvious that when they started this movie, they wanted to make something that had to do with climate change and have some sort of broader, like sci-fi social message. And it's just like really wild how blank it is at the end. And these shots are so embarrassing; they look like screensavers. And then like Doctor Grant and Ellie get together, and that's you know also sacrilegious to longtime fans of the series, where like. One of the points of them and one of the interesting things about them is that they don't get together despite having a little bit of chemistry. But anyway, as another trilogy, this, these movies, the first Jurassic World, I thought, was honestly fine as like a nostalgia piece. And then they've gotten increasingly to the point where it's just this total blank slate of a blockbuster. It looks like every other movie. And I just don't understand how you fuck up a movie where you have all these dinosaurs that like, it's like you have a distinctive sort of way of staging these action sequences using these creatures. And this movie just really squanders almost every single thing that could have ever made them special. And it's just impressive work. Yeah, for me, it just comes down to like, there's little... You know, little sequences in this, um, you know, as you mentioned, it sort of restages or riffs on like a lot of sequences from the, uh, you know, the first, you know, especially I think like the first two Jurassic Park movies. And you can see Colin Trevorrow like very clearly trying to sort of like do Steven Spielberg and just not getting it right somehow. And I feel like, you know, it's, I mean, he's clearly going through it like shot by shot and just like, oh, you know, really trying to replicate everything. But it always feels to me like there's some sort of, like there's a beat missing. There's a shot that would like drive it home better that's not there. And there's just a real like lack of human feeling to this. Like I don't care about any of these characters if they get eaten by dinosaurs or not. Um, this is a movie that, you know, purportedly is concerned with the future of humanity, but does not actually seem to care about actual humans. At any point, and it, it just really, you know, whatever that sort of like elusive, you know, Spielberg thing is, like, it's very easy to copy the shots. I mean, Lord knows, watch an episode of Stranger Things, they do it, you know, every week. But, you know, actual sort of getting that really effective, like, sentimentality underneath it, like, this, it just, um, you know, is not coming through here at all. Yeah. I mean, even in, as an exercise in empty nostalgia, let me just say I am susceptible when it comes to Jurassic Park. I was very much the kid who from like the age of six to 11 woke up at dawn every Saturday and popped in my VHS of that movie. And it, like it meant a lot to me. And I still get excited to watch these movies, even though I was sure that this one was just going to be a little rough. I was excited to watch it. Uh, but it's like, it's very, very hard to imagine little kids getting excited and thinking of this movie as something that's meaningful to them in any way, because it just has every little bit of character and wonder stripped out of it. Um, and I just, 
That's a bummer. I think that there's still, I highly doubt this is the last Jurassic Park movie. Um, Universal needs what little f- a few franchises it has left, and I'm sure they'll find a way. And I hope that they just, if they do bring it back, it goes back to basics, because it's just very hard to imagine anyone thinking of this movie for even a second, no matter how old they are, after it's over. Anecdotal evidence, but I asked my uh, 13-year-old daughter if she wanted to watch the first Jurassic Park over the weekend, because she has not seen any of them and she just was like she just said like no you know I don't want to watch that because I don't want to be one of those people who watches Jurassic Park movies um, and great she's a teenager this is the kind of thing teenagers say but I think it also speaks to kind of like how these movies have really kind of like eroded and like coarsened the reputation of the original ones and really just made them sort of this tedious lumbering thing that's really you know, I think of the original movie and there's all, I mean, it's it's like a horror movie in a lot of ways. There's some really like scary stuff in it, but it's also like the stuff you think of is just like, you know, Sam Neill and Laura Dern just like dropping their jaws as they see brontosauruses for the first time. And, and I feel like that sense of wonder is, is really just gone from this. And maybe that's just a hard thing to do, you know, in the sixth movie of a series. But it really, it just like doesn't work for me without that. You know, as you mentioned, the sort of definitive statements about the series is really seem to be coming from the actors like Chris Pratt. And I'm sure what he's saying is like, I, my contract is up. I'm not doing this again. Uh, but like Frank Marshall, who has produced all the movies, is has been sort of hedging his bets and be like, well, it's the end of this trilogy, but who knows? And we still got a, you know, Netflix cartoon. So maybe we will see more of these. Do you have an appetite for more of this stuff, Jeff? Or, or would you rather just rewatch the originals at this point? I mean, as I said, I'm kind of a sad, sad fan of these movies. It will always have a place in my heart for dinosaurs marauding and killing people. And I will say this, I've even watched a little bit of the Netflix cartoon series, which is about like kids that get trapped um, while at like a Jurassic camp with dinosaurs. It's not bad. I think there is like material they could do here and there is ways that they could find to like go back to the roots of what made the original movies work. But I really, um, I I feel very pushed away and betrayed by how uh, sad and bloated and completely empty this movies have become. It was an altogether depressing experience. That is our show. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producers are Christy Taiwo Macanjula and Jasmine Ellis. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Audio at Slate. For Jeffrey Bloomer, I'm Sam Adams. Thanks for listening. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. Silent Green is people! No, I am the father. What's in the box? You maniac! You blew it up! Damn you all to hell! It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.